Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of fresh fruit. We're so glad you're here. So where does your mind go when you receive bad news? (laughs) When something doesn't happen the way that you wanted it to happen, where does your heart take you? What does your mind tell you? Maybe you have this moment in life when you have a disruptor. Where does your mind go when something is deemed not what should have happened in that moment? Maybe traffic was way too heavy, or maybe that person in front of you should have done something different. It's just something I wasn't prepared for. I didn't have time to address it. It's a disruption in my life. It's an inconvenience in my life, or it's an adversity or challenge in my life. These things happen all the time, don't they? All of the time, on a pretty much daily basis, we have these either disruptions or things that cause us to either struggle with how do I find peace in those moments. And so I could spend all of my time together this morning listing all those things out for you, but I've picked just a couple, a couple that I know are relevant for a lot of us. Have you ever had these moments where your kids are just acting up? I mean, and and you had a great plan, and you were ready at 6.30 in the morning, and they woke up in a mood. And uh, it's not going to be possible to accomplish what it is that you wanted to happen in that day. It just kind of got started off on the right wrong note. Or maybe it's drama at work. Has drama at work ever happened to you guys? I know this is none of you. I know none of you are the drama people at work. We've had a project, and maybe you've done your part on the project, and he hasn't done the part on his project, or she hasn't done the part on, your pro- on their project, and you're all of a sudden now being negatively evaluated, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have any peace right now because I've done what I was supposed to do, and I don't know how to do that work for them. Flight delays, they're terrible. If you've traveled at all this summer and you have been on time, you're a unicorn. I mean, it just doesn't happen anymore. If we just, none of us are in time. And the reality is wherever I need to be is more important than where you need to be. That's kind of the midst of the, 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 the kind of refrain, isn't it? You're thinking, I know there's 200 people that have a destination, Nashville, but I need to be at Nashville and I'm more important than you are. Or wherever I need to be or wherever you need to be is more important than all of those other people. Maybe it's unexpected medical news where you just didn't get the results from the test that you wanted, or the test results are inconclusive, or you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do with this news, or maybe it's just criticism. Someone doesn't know your true motivation, or maybe they only know one half of the story, and you're thinking to yourself, you're stressed, and and you don't have peace in your life because of what other people are thinking about you. These are just a few of the many things that can happen to us every day. And the question at hand this morning is, how do I respond to those things? How do I respond to these situations that I might not be in control of, but I'm going to be forced in that moment to either choose a path of peace or choose a path of frustration or choose a path of worry or choose a path of anxiety or choose a path of lashing out at someone else? I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm excited about what we get to do in this time together because God's calling us to be people of peace. 
and to grow in peace. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be a peaceful person, some really practical things in terms of what it means to grow in peace. And so I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here, so I'm going to pray and ask God to show us what it is He wants to show us today through His Word. And again, I'm just grateful for your presence here today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for just this beautiful morning of life. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship. Thank you for just an opportunity to assemble together. God, we don't take this for granted. And we certainly want to open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want to teach us today. So thank you, God, for giving us peace, for being our peace giver. And we're just grateful again for an opportunity to read and study your word and to grow together here uh, in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, if I were to pass a microphone around and ask you guys to define peace, you could probably come up with some words. It's been my experience in life that peace is kind of something like I know it when I see it. And you'll think to yourself, you know, he has peace or she has peace. And it's usually because they have some kind of disruption or there's something that you could have. The world would have been frustrated by that, but that person is not. And you would kind of use the word peace in that moment. Now, according to Galatians chapter 5, which is the key text for this entire series called Fresh Fruit, uh, the, this word peace is not just something that we can find the dictionary definition of, but that peace is actually a fruit of the Spirit of God. That to be a peaceful person means that I'm a person who's growing closer to God, and as a result of growing closer to God, I'm showing more peace in my relationships, more peace in the chaos, so to speak, and what it means to kind of embody that opposed to the alternatives. Now, Jesus also had a lot to say about peace in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest or longest recorded sermon of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Look at what Jesus says. These are his words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called or will be called the children of God. Jesus himself is saying, blessed are you, if you're a person of peace, someone who brings peace into situations. So peace is this kind of frame of mind. It's a, a heart condition. It's just a, 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 this experience where I say, no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to say the course. No matter how frustrated everyone else might be by this, I'm going to choose to keep my cool. I'm going to be a steady eddy, if you will. <laughs> Nothing's going to throw me off my footing I'm going to realize that there's hard things that are going to come. There's difficult things that are going to come. But yet I want to remain faithful and I want to grow in peace. And most of us are probably like, yes, please, I want that. But is it easy? Is it easy to be a person of peace? If this were easy, then this wouldn't be something that God instructs us so many times to be sensitive to. And if it were easy, then all of us would have figured this out altogether. See, Jesus himself gives us so many teachings about the power of peace. Why? Because he knew that there were also going to be a lot of disruptions in our life. In John chapter 16, verse 33, which is really one of the clearest kind of cut and dry teachings that give it, Jesus gives us about peace, listen to what Jesus says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the context of this verse is really, really interesting because what's happened prior to this is Jesus has told his disciples that he's getting ready to leave. He's, getting, you know, he's not going to live forever, and as the human state, the religious leader, the, the rabbi there, he's going to die, and he was going to be put on a cross. He was going to be crucified, resurrected from the tomb, and ascended back to heaven to be with the Father. And so Jesus is telling them that the way things are right now is not the way it's going to be forever. And I'm going to send you out, and there's kind of strength in numbers. Everybody's together right now. We're all 12 together. We're all having this grand old time. But I'm sending you out into a world that is going to be very adverse to what it is that you're teaching. 
In fact, you're going out as sheep among wolves. And so he says, I am your peace. I give you peace, but don't let it be lost on you. In this world, you will have trouble, but take great heart. Take great confidence in the truth that I have overcome the world. That's why here at Rolling Hills, people ask us sometimes, why do you talk about the resurrection so much? There's not a Sunday that comes and goes that I don't talk about the resurrection because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no peace. And without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no promise that he will conquer the things in our life. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he conquered death, he conquered shame, he conquered your troubles, he conquered your adversities, he conquered all of those disruptions, all of those things that could potentially cause you to be an anxious, worrisome person. Jesus says you don't have to fear those things anymore. Take great heart, I have overcome the world. So what do we learn about the peace of Jesus from John 16, 33? You see it up here on your screen. We learn that peace is a promise, but so are troubles. Peace is a promise. I like that part of the sermon. But so are troubles. Sometimes we kind of get in this mindset that we're after this trouble-free living. You know, that life would just be so much easier if all of my troubles would go away. If there was no adversities, if there was no challenges, if there was no sickness, if there was no financial constraints, whatever those, case, those things might be. If there was, if everybody just got along all the time, you know, you have in your mind just kind of, if it could just be this utopian environment, then my life would be really great. Well, this side of heaven, that doesn't exist because of sin. And if I'm kind of pursuing that, thinking that that's going to happen, thinking that once I just get through this one problem, everything is going to be fine and everything's going to go away. You just keep that daydream alive (laughs) because it's an exercise in futility. Why Jesus himself says, peace is a promise that I give you, but so are troubles. You will have troubles in this earth. So seeing that troubles are a promise, it would stand to reason that Jesus would give us some tools, that the Holy Spirit and the God would give us some tools that we could rely upon, that we could depend upon, and he sure enough does. Look at Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I love this verse of scripture. It's, in fact, our key verse for this message. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Being a person of peace starts with your mind. If you want to know how to grow as a person of peace, it starts with your thoughts. And it starts with how I respond in my mind to those list of things that we put up here on the screen at the top of the message. In fact, one of the notes that maybe you want to kind of reflect upon a little bit later on this week is my ability to have peace is actually directly correlated to how I think about everything that happens to me. My ability to have peace, it is directly correlated to how I think about everything that happens to me. Those immediate thoughts that I have when I face some type of challenge, where does your mind go when something unexpected happens? Does it go to the things of this world or does it go to God. That's why Colossians 3.2 is a verse that I encourage you to commit to memory. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the things of God, not on earthly things. I had a buddy of mine send me a podcast this week, actually, and it was all about the power of the mind, and it was so interesting. And he said, I think you'll like this. And uh, I listened to it, and uh, and I thought, yeah, this is really great insight. And I sent a text back to my buddy, and I said, it's really great insight, but it's really amazing that God actually had a lot to say about this before podcasting was a thing. (laughs) And it was a great insight, and 
and a buddy of mine, he's a believer, and we were kind of, kind of joking about that, and we started looking at some scripture like Colossians 3, 2, because this guy, you know, has this really huge following, and the entire kind of concept of his messaging is what happens in your mind really sets the tone for what in reality comes to fruition, and I'm thinking to myself, that sounds a lot like set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. But when my mind is set on the things of God opposed to earthly things, peace becomes a go-to. Peace doesn't become a secondary choice. It becomes a go-to. That's why we precisely say the thing that you should not do in the morning when you wake up and roll out of bed is to check what's happening in the world. Do that a little bit later. Sometimes our go-to is let's see what happened on Instagram overnight. Let's see what, who tweeted overnight. Don't go to the news. You know, just, just pray before you start that journey. Why? Because um, our minds become exposed and our minds are unshielded from all of the darts of the trappings of this world. And our minds begin to tell us a narrative that is apart from what it is that God wants to show us. That's why the most practical, beneficial thing you can do in the morning before you ever engage with anything that's happening in the world is say, God, you show me what you want to teach me today. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time reading a few verses of Scripture, asking God to saturate your mind before you go into anything else. Because when our mind's not in the right place, isn't it amazing how when your mind begins to kind of start the day in the wrong place, you get to the end of the day and you start weaving these really irrational stories about everything that's happening. And something bad happens to you and you think to yourself, the whole town of Nolensville hates me. No, they don't. My boss hates me. I probably don't have a job anymore. You know, that car key, to, the key reader's not even going to work if I go to the office anymore. And it's these irrational stories because your mind begins to tell you lies because it's not steadfast and it's not focused on the things of the Lord. I want to give you an interesting exercise to do. Go home and do this today. Google ways to find peace in my life. And if you're bored, just go ahead and do it now, I guess. But um, <laughs> ways to find peace in my life. And when you Google that phrase, you're going to find some interesting concepts. And so I've done a little bit of the homework for you, and so I want to read to you some things that I found um, out there. Uh, and this is according to the Positivity blog. I thought that was a good title for a blog. Um, positive, I'm a very positive person. So this was the title of the article, 15 Things to Do in Your Life to Bring Inner Peace. Here we go. I'm not just going to pick, I picked seven off the list. Set limits, find relaxation techniques, don't make mountains out of molehills, slow down, declutter, be early, and escape for a while. And in full disclosure, I do not disagree with this list at all. I think these are wonderful practices. I think these are things that if you would start doing these in your life, it would probably kind of center your life maybe away from some of the things that are frustrating to you. The problem with the article was when they said 15 things to bring you inner peace. Because I thought to myself, I'm not sure that decluttering brings inner peace. Decluttering makes your life a little bit more efficient. But inner peace is a stretch. If you've lost your job, I don't think getting up a little early and um, escaping for a little bit is really what's going to allow me to get out of bed every morning and face the challenges in front of me. If you've lost someone that's special to you, it's going to take a little bit more than just slowing down to find how to cope with that and how to process through that grief. Now, is this list a bad list? Absolutely not. But the reality is inner peace is not found in experiences. See, peace doesn't come because of experiences. Peace comes because of Jesus. 
Peace doesn't just come because of experiences. Peace comes because of Jesus. Or maybe I should rephrase that and say peace doesn't come from experiences alone. Peace only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Look at John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, peace is a promise of Christ. And because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and because Jesus made a way for us to be made right, to renew us, to make us whole, when we surrender to him, we realize that peace is not out of our grasp. But it's something that can be a part of our moment-by-moment, day-in, day-out life. That's the hope of the gospel, that there's no fear of death, that there's no fear of the unknown, that there's no worrying that's needed about the things out of my control, but rather there's a wonderful peace of Christ. Now, right in the midst of these verses, though, in John 14, 27, Jesus tells us that he gives us something different than the world gives us. So inherently true in that statement is that the world gives you some semblance of peace. And Jesus is saying, what I give you is different from what the world gives you. So generally speaking, what does the world say peace looks like? Most of what the world will tell you peace looks like, peace is found in disconnecting from everything. You know, you disconnect from everything and you'll have peace. You know, you disconnect for a day and go have a spa day and that will bring you peace. That's great. Go for it. But at the end of that spa day, they kick you out. They don't let you stay there can be the nicest resort known to man, and they do not let you take up residence forever. They're like, thank you for your 400 bucks. Go back to your house now (laughs) and deal with all the stuff and all the stressors over there. It can't be your reality. It can't stay that way. The world says, let me disconnect from reality with a vacation, and that's what provides the inner peace. The world says, let me disconnect from all of my problems and kind of numb my pain with alcohol. The world says, let me disconnect from all of my problems and play some video games, and that's what's going to bring the inner peace in my life. Whereas Scripture says that true inner peace is not found at all in disconnecting. Inner peace is found in connecting to God. Inner peace is not about disconnecting. Inner peace is about connecting with Him, running to Him, starting your day with Him, allowing your mind and your heart and your life to be totally focused on Him. Because back to John 14, it says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And those only happen when you run to God and connect with him because you trust him and you see his faithfulness and you see his goodness over all of your life. Now, keep in mind, this is not easy. As I said a few minutes ago, I'm not going to stand up here and say that it's easy to be a person of peace because it's not. It's extremely challenging. But yet it's a fruit of the Spirit that the Lord wants us to grow in. And when we grow in this fruit of the Spirit, we also begin to realize that this is pretty countercultural behavior. Because what does the world say? The world says, be stressed about everything. The world says, be worried about everything. The world says, you know, disconnect, have a little bit of me time, and all of the peace will come in your life. So a person of peace is actually countercultural. And that's okay. A person of peace is countercultural. But the last time I checked, a Christian should be countercultural. A person that follows Jesus Christ is in the world, but not of the world. So are you saying, Pastor Jason, that I shouldn't love the world? Are you saying that I shouldn't be involved in people that don't know Jesus Christ? That's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, that is your commission. It is your commission to be in the world. It is your commission to go to work and to see whatever it is, wherever God has placed you, the job he has put in your lap right now to do, that is an opportunity that God has given you to fulfill the Great Commission. 
to be on mission for him. If you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're an attorney, if you're a preschool teacher, whatever it might be, God has put you in that place because he, that is a fulfillment of his plan for your life. But yet you don't have to be of the world. I believe that we are to love our towns and we are to love our uh, cities and we are to love this world and love the people in this world, but countercultural behavior means I don't have to be of the world. I don't have to follow the same agenda, but yet I'm in it and I love it and I'm seeking to grow who, who God wants me to be in the midst of that, growing in this fruit of the Spirit, peace. And so there's lots of ways for you and I to be countercultural. One of those that's really kind of on the top of a lot of our minds probably is worry. Because what does the world say? The world says worry about everything. But yet what does God say? Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer, through petition, through thanksgiving, and through trusting God, there is a peace that can transcend all of your finite mind's ability to understand something. And there's a peace that can only come from him, meaning I don't have to be anxious about anything. If there's a strong connection to God, if this fruit of spirit peace is growing in my life, then I can live with a non-anxious presence in this world, which is not the norm. Certainly countercultural, but yet precisely what it is that Jesus and how Jesus wants us to live. Just last Sunday, I was talking uh, with a lady here after the service um, who's had a reoccurrence of cancer. And, um, you know, in, in the next, you know, days and weeks ahead, I certainly have some unknown um, un unknowns to that and some potential for fear and some uncertainty about why did this come back and what's going on and what's the treatment and is there a treatment and all those questions that we normally in our minds will begin to ask. And um, I asked her, how are you holding up under all this news? And she had shared with us that this was going on. And so I just said, how are you holding up under all this news? And she looked at me and she said, Jason, I have so much peace. I'm not worried at all because I trust that God is going to get me through this. I have so much peace. I'm not worried at all, and I trust God is going to get me through this. And if I were to bring her up here on the stage and say, how can you say that? I promise she's not going to say, it's the decluttering that did it. <laughs> I cleaned out my junk drawer, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> she would not say, you know, it was the manicure. I got that manicure, and I'm ready to fight. I know how she can say it. She can say it because she's a person of peace. She's a person who exudes peace. She's here every Sunday. She has, better perfect, she has better church attendance than I do, to be quite honest with you. When she's in this place, her hands are raised, worshiping God. She's engaging with the holy God of the universe. If you look at the things that she posts on Facebook, it's very positive. It's, it's very God-honoring. It's very much a reflection of life's not about me, but it's about God and others. She's involved in a group here in her church. She serves here on Sunday. She, she gets that peace isn't just a bunch of experiences. She gets that peace is found in the person of Christ. In Christ alone. And see, that's the attitude and that's the response that Jesus is wanting all of us to have, meaning that you can live that way. 
He instructs us to live that way. And what begins to happen is when we live that way, not only does that peace flood over us, but isn't it cool that that peace starts flooding over other people as well? And you never sign up for this, but then you become the expert to help everybody else walk through the things they're going with because they see how you handled that and they see the peace that you have and your sphere of influence and your ministry just continues to even expand. So a question that I want to ask us today is, could that be said of us? When people look at our lives, would they say, man, that's a person of peace. That's a person who really embodies peace. You see this question posed today, and I hope it's a question that you'll reflect upon throughout the course of this week. Am I seeking to grow in peace in my home and in my relationships and in my work? Am I seeking to grow in peace and to be a person of peace in my home, my relationships, and my work? Because home, relationships, work, I mean, that's pretty much sums up what life is, (laughs) For us, I mean, we, we have a place where we live and people who live there and we have the relationships that we're a part of and the community that we're a part of and the work that we do and the things that God has put in front of us. See, a person of peace says, I want to grow in peace in all those areas. James 3.18 reminds us that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What does that verse mean? That verse means that when I sow peace, I reap harvest of righteousness. I reap a harvest of right, God-honoring things. When I sow peace in my home, a harvest of righteousness grows in my home. When I seek to sow peace in my relationships, and when I seek to make my relationships not about me, but about God and others, good, God-honoring, righteous things begin to surface in those relationships. When I look at my work as not just uh, something that I punch the clock and do, but say, God, what do you want to teach me today through this? You begin to see God brings harvest of righteousness. And you tell me these stories all the time about the people that just, quote unquote, accidentally stepped into your workplace and they just happened to be assigned the cube right by you and they just happened to be going through something that you were going through. And I'm like, that's not accidental. That's you being a person of peace. And God is bringing a harvest of righteousness into those moments in your life. So when I sow peace, I reap a harvest of righteousness. So may peace be that thing that we carry with us everywhere we go. Sometimes we think about peace kind of like a library book. We check it in, we check it out, depending on the situation. But what about saying, you know, peace is something I'm going to bring to every party, every day, every class, everything that I do, I'm bringing peace with me. Many of our homes, to be quite honest, though, I mean, I'm talking about home here and it's not lost on me that many of your homes that you grew up in were not places of peace. They just, they just weren't. Peace would maybe in the last word that you would have used to describe your home. Maybe your home was a place of fighting. Your home was a place where voices were raised more than voices were calm. Or maybe you had a home where you kind of had to walk on eggshells. Um, you didn't know what you were going to find and, and what the situation was going to be like. Um, and if that's your story... Maybe it's been a while since somebody's reminded you of this, but that doesn't have to be your story now. You can write a different story. And you can start right now saying, I'm going to write a different story in my home. I'm going to write a different story with the people who I live with. I'm going to write a different story in my family. Start today. And and I think there's some practical things that we can do. And I want to share with you just a few practical things because I think it's really easy for us to kind of keep this stuff in the clouds and not bring it down into, what can I actually do with this? I encourage you, especially those of you that are parents, and this is relevant for all of us, by the way, but especially those of you that have little ears, I would encourage you to be really sensitive to what you bring into your home, what you bring into your car when you're driving, the music that you play, the messaging that you allow to come into your home. And that's not me being, you know, some old school, like, 
if you know, you know God preaching at you saying, don't listen to secular music, that's not my statement at all. But just know that little ears listen all the time. And they begin to hear things that many times aren't what you would want them to hear. I encourage you, whether you are single, whether you're married, whether you have roommates, friendships, community, family, grandkids, whatever the case might be, I I think this is relevant for all of us. Please don't diminish the fact that sometimes one of the most peaceful things we can do in our home is to cook a meal or to get takeout and to sit around a table and eat and enjoy that conversation with one another. It's really unfortunate, but this has kind of become a lost um, art, so to speak of enjoying a meal together. And I realize I'm getting some of the looks from you guys already. You're like, you don't know how busy my life is. Yeah, I do. I get it. I really do. And it's a constant struggle for us as well. But how about we make a commitment to say, you know, it's going to take a little bit more work, but we're going to have some meals together. We're not just going to go in a million different places. We're certainly not going to stand on our phones and sit on our phones while we're doing this kind of thing. Let's charge them. Let's make that charging time. Get all the phones charged while we eat. And for some of us, that means we're going to have to make a commitment and say, you know what, we're going to have a 6 a.m. breakfast, and I know that's going to be hard, but we're going to do it. Or for some of us, it's like we're going to have a blue plate special dinner. It's going to be 3.30, and we're going to have food. And for some of us, it might be 8 p.m. before everybody's there. Friends, don't diminish the importance of what peace can come. When you're seated around a table, it's true with your friendships as well. It's true with your community. Some of the most peaceful times that you will ever have is when you kind of disconnect from technology and you sit knee to knee with friends and you look them in the eye and you talk and you have conversation and you build each other up and not tear each other down. This is not just my ideas. I mean, the research on this is actually quite sobering. If you go kind of start looking at some of this research about the importance of mealtimes, I mean, this is a study from the National Library of Medicine. This is out of Canada. I want you to listen to the synopsis. It says, overall, results show that frequent family meals are inversely associated with decrease in eating disorders, alcohol, substance abuse, violent behavior, feelings of depression, increased self-esteem, and school success. Research would say that as the frequency of family meals rise, there tends to be a decline in some of these issues that we really are trying to protect our families from. There are huge benefits of connection and listening and sharing. And it takes an incredible amount of planning. But maybe it's something that we could just move a few degrees closer to and just say that's never been a part of our family. We just have a hard, hard time prioritizing that. Let's figure it out in the next couple of weeks how to reprioritize some of this. I think another concept that many of us would probably benefit from in the sector of bringing peace into our homes and our workplaces and our relationships is to really reset our priorities and our expectations. Oftentimes, peace doesn't come in our life because we have the wrong expectations. And if you have the wrong expectations about something, peace is usually not going to follow. Let me give you an example. We have sometimes expectations about community and friendships, and we really want it to be perfect, but we don't want to do anything to actually cultivate (laughs) friendships. I want you to know me, but I don't want to know you. I want you to kind of work on my schedule, but I don't want to give a little bit to work on your schedule, and it's simply meaning if that's the case that way we live, our friendships will probably struggle. But yet, I've got to reset those expectations and say maybe my peace is not there because the expectations were just wrong. If you're married, I would, I would tend to believe that probably some of the strife that you've gone through in marriage has been because your expectations were wrong. 
you thought it would be a lot easier than it actually was. Or you thought that this would be a lot more joy-filled than it actually was. Or you don't know why he did that, or you don't know why she did that, and you stop giving each other the benefit of a doubt. And then as a result, strife comes. And of course, I've heard this one. I've said this one many times. It's like, Pastor Jason, there is no peace in our home. These kids cry all the time. I get it. I really do. I mean, I have two under eight at my house, so I understand it. We're high drama, high tears, high everything, high emotion, high, high, high everything. It's ama- but it's amazing. Some of you have teenagers in your home, and you're thinking to yourself, you don't know about these hormones that we're dealing with over here. And if I could pull up a stool and have just a fireside chat, not a I'm preaching at you, but a we're all in this together, I think we have to honestly answer the question. I think we really have to grapple through this question. Honest answers. Did you really think when you had children that they wouldn't cry? I mean, what was your expectation? Did you, ex- did you expect that they would come out like potty trained, knowing how to cut their own food, you know, never talking back? Was that what you expected? Because if that's what you expected, your expectations were wrong, and peace tends to not follow wrong expectations. You have teenagers in your house, and you're saying, man, the hormones. You know, I want to remind you in that. You were a teenager once, and you know what you had when you were a teenager? Hormones. And you know who you aggravated? Your parents. And you know whose buttons you pushed? Everybody's. I know you guys. It's nothing new under the sun, according to the book of Ecclesiastes. These aren't new problems. But yet, when I think about this generation that's coming, when I think about our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, when I think about our kids and I think about our preschool students that are coming, I hope that each and every one of us would say, this is not the generation that we're just like, what are they doing? This is the generation that we're saying, we now more than ever need to speak peace into their life and to create moments of peace for them because they are going into a world that is ideologically corrupt. And the world is warring against the things that they know to be true. And so as their leaders, as their shepherds, as their parents, as their grandparents, how about we say, no, instead of bemoaning this next generation, let's create moments where peace flourishes in their life. But see, it's not just our sphere of influence. God also calls us to be people of peace in the world. I mean, look at Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So peace isn't just about my inner circle. To live at peace with others is pleasing to God. To live at peace with others is pleasing to God. We live in a social media, hyper-political, galvanized, divided world, and sometimes we think to ourselves, Romans 12, 18 is the last thing that I see out there, and unfortunately, Romans 12, 18 is sometimes the last thing that we see those of us in the church leading out in. But maybe today would be the time when we say, Now, I want to live at peace as much as I can. It is my responsibility to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on me. Because in this world, Jesus himself reminded us we will have trouble. In this world, Jesus himself says you will have disruptions. Many of you are experiencing those very things as we sit here today. But my prayer is that the peace of God that transcends all understanding would be what guards our hearts and what guards our minds in Christ Jesus. I can only assume that we need peace. I can only assume that there's some people in this room right now that need peace. 
There's some people who have been here at our first two services today that needed peace, that needed to be reminded that the struggles that we encounter and the struggles that we go through, those things don't have to define us. But rather, we can realize where our peace comes from and that we can allow our mind to be refreshed and our heart to be settled on experiencing Him anew. Experiencing Him and His peace. And so this morning, I want to close by giving you an opportunity to respond to that an opportunity to reflect upon that. And this morning, we're going to do a couple things. And here in just a second, um, the band's going to come forward. And here in just a second, I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And when you do that, there's going to be some members of our prayer team that are actually just going to head step right outside because, as you can see, we have such a little space here. And they're going to step outside under the awning, and they're going to be there if you want to pray. If maybe, if anything, we don't need to know all the details, it, it's, it doesn't matter how significant or insignificant you think it might be, but if there's just a need for some peace in your life, a peace in a situation you're going through, we hope that you'll do us a favor and just step out and allow one of these men or women to pray for you. Or if that's not what you want to do this morning, we're going to have a moment for you to just kind of be here and to be still and for us to have a moment to worship together before we close throughout the course of this day. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to pray that you can find some peace um, in these moments. If you want to pray with someone, um, you can actually even go ahead and step up now if you want. Um, they're there and they would love to pray for you. Um, you can move at some point during this um, moment of reflection. But God is here and God is wanting to remind us that he is our peace. He is holy. He can be trusted. And I want to close today by reading a blessing over you. And this is a blessing that comes from the book of Numbers. And this is the blessing that the Lord gave to Moses. And he said, I want you to tell Aaron and his sons, this is how are you to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Lord, we pray that you would give us peace today. Pray for the person who's struggling, that they would find some comfort and solace in knowing that you are here with them today. I thank you, God, that no matter how significant or insignificant the struggles that we're going through, that you care. And so I pray that it would be said about us that it's well with our soul, it's well with our heart, it's well with our life, and that we wouldn't leave this place today with not without worshiping and without just being honest and real about what we're going through. So thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this time of response. We thank you for being here, and we thank you for being our peace. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.